0: In the name of God, our father, our mother, the one who loves us all the way home. Amen. Amen. Well, good morning, St. Columbus. Good morning. I am so thrilled to be with you today, to be visiting and to be visiting in the place I live, in Washington, D.C. I'm the Reverend Melanie Mullen, and I serve our presiding bishop, Michael Curry, as our director for the Episcopal Church's work on reconciliation, racial justice, and creation care. I live in this place that is at the intersections of all the things we do in the Episcopal Church. Or sometimes I like to shorthand it as all the things the church is trying to fix that we might not have gotten right the first time around. All the really hard stuff of the journey racial justice and poverty, systemic oppression and climate crisis. Just the easy things. But that reminds me of these scriptures today. They are pictures of people on the really hard journey. You have this wonderful story of God talking to Abram, but there's a whole journey of a family doing the hard work I have a rabbi friend who called this story in Genesis, the story of God's great big disappointment with people. Abram has a whole family told in a short bit in Genesis that were not quite up to the task, that wandered, that were not noble people, that let God down again and again. And yet, for some reason, God never gave up on them. For some reason, God not only blessed them, but said to Abraham later, you are gonna be the source of hope, not just for your family, but for all, all humankind. But what really gets me in this wandering story, the wandering Aramaean, is that, well, Abram came from a family, a lineage that drew a map of the world one might not be proud of. It's his dad. His dad, named Tariq, was sort of what you'd call an insider smoozer. He was down with the king of the oppressive system. He was a maker of idols. According to Midrash, he actually sold little clay and stone gods and told other people, put your hope in this. A thing that I made that makes me money and that we hope will keep you up at night. And there's this great Midrashic story where one day when Abram was a teenager, he was left in charge of the idol shop. His father said, keep it going, keep selling, do my business. Well, Abram took an axe and smashed all the clay and wooden idols, except for one, stuck the axe in its hand. And when his dad, Derek, came back and said, what happened? Where are all the idols? Abram said, well... That one just killed all the others. His father said, that's impossible. They're not real. They're just clay and stone. Abram said, gotcha. Where you're putting your hope in is not real. So the theory is that all along there was this sense that Abram knew the source of real hope. Even before God spoke, God saw in Abram a thing that said, this will be a light for all of us to see. For all humans, a point to your wandering. Wandering can make one very tired. You can look grievous when it, you can be physically wandering on this map of the world or emotionally, spiritually. You know a wanderer when you see them, they have this list look in their eye. They might be constantly on their phone on TikTok. I guarantee you, that the most common form of endless wandering you've probably heard of, people call call it eco-grief, maybe eco-sadness, climate grief. It's spreading like wildfire. It's the new pandemic, people wandering in hopelessness. There are studies right now we're seeing where if you want to connect with a young person under 30, talk to them about their inner Ecological grief. A whole generation that feels like they're wandering on this earth is purposeless, that they will inherit nothing, that there is no hope for life going forward. To get a sense of the crisis for all of the nuns out there who don't believe and don't go to church, for the folks who still find God in nature and a sunset or a mountain, it'd be like suddenly being aware that all around you god oneself is dying Eco grief is a spiritual catastrophe a wandering endlessly in the wilderness and an apathy and selfishness laying waste and greed being profoundly disturbed and yet i wonder what abraham or even in the gospel nicodemus might say to those endlessly wandering in this new type of grief. That there's something about God's call to justice that gives a message of hope here. Something about the bigger picture that actually shows us the way to a sunrise. I equate it a little bit to folks who go to one session of sacred ground. I heard some of y'all have done that. It might leave one feeling a little raw A little sad to know the landscape of grief, the history of racial justice, the heaviness, and yet if you've ever done more than one lesson you'd never invite a person to stop halfway. Grief is not solved by stopping on the journey only by going through. It's not the first lesson but the tenth, the community, the hope, the realization that there's a God that shows hope even in the darkest times. Through flood, through death itself, Jesus on the cross, there is no end to hope even in the darkness. What can we do? It's what generations have been asking, where is the hope? How can I live and love and believe if there is no connectedness? I wonder too if there's a little bit of a hint here that God spoke to Abraham and told him, go, just go. Leave your family, leave where you come from, leave what makes you feel safe inside and keep walking. My favorite intersectional scientists and social activists and systemic warriors of justice all say the same thing. When we get really down, keep going. What you do when you look around and realize the enormity of racial injustice or the depth of climate grief is you advocate or you speak. You change your fuels. You change where you put your money. You politicize your angst, focus your energies on building a collective resilience, showing that there is still a God of love. Go, go, go Abraham and keep walking past the first sacred ground lesson, past the realization that the world is in trouble to a place where we we can call all of ourselves Nicodemus, plural Nicodemi, it's a great name, not just a person that came to Jesus in darkness, But Nika, like Nike, the shoes, means victory. And Demas, like democracy, means the people. Victory for the people. That's no accident. God keeps calling individuals to remind us we will have victory as people who whisper and know God's love. Even if we can't shout, as the king said, even if we can't run, we have to walk. If we can't walk, but we crawl, if we can't crawl, we just lie there and pray. But even in our hearts, we know go, go, go. God calls you and promises hope and love. There's something beyond the science or the politics, beyond our rational mind, but there is a memory that although Jesus died on the cross, there will be an Easter. Last year, Bishop Curry appointed a delegation to go to the United Nations. We do this every year and we go to the big climate conference. And it's not just about seas and land and floods, it's also about people and the effects of systemic racism and colonialism and folks who are trying to fix the world together in the face of a lot of obstacles. And I went to this workshop, a panel where people of lots of different faiths, were sitting and hearing from scientists on the cutting edge theories. How do we save this world? How do we make sure the people in it aren't left behind? How do we make it better after generations and decades of oppression and misuse? And the scientist who spoke was eloquent. She was a New Yorker. She told us about theories and change and advocacy. And then when it was over, she ran into the bathroom And started to cry. I saw her looking in the mirror, and she looked up and saw me with my collar on, and said, "I don't understand how you can be here. Why? Why are you people here? How do you not want to lay down and cry and give up your faith? Where? Where is your hope?" And I. I thought about her presentation, I thought about the scientists, the politicians, the advocates from Africa, the third world. I thought about the people who pointed to all the ways the struggle would be hard and the journey would be long. The scientist was crying and she told me that she had a 16 year old daughter and she couldn't stand a world in which her teenage daughter couldn't inherit a life of hope And I told her, well, if you ask, if I have to be really honest, why am I not crying? Why am I not completely hopeless? I think, well, I think it's because my grandmother sang to me. She sang to me all the time. Stony the road we trod, bitter the chastening rod, felt in the day when hope unborn had died. And yet, with a steady beat, have not our weary feet come to the place for which our God had died? I told her that I come from a people who know hopelessness, who know wandering for generation after generation, problems so big no scholar or scientist thought it could be fixed. With roots so deep, we still deal with the legacy of systemic oppression today. And yet, and yet, the prayer of a people who were called in hope. Remember, God loves you. Remember, God will find you a way out. Remember, there will not just be a Good Friday, a death in darkness, or a wandering of Arameans, but there will be an Easter. Let us keep our eyes on this prize and know that God calls us to go, go in love, go in hope, go in joy through this Lenten season and know that we will all come again in Easter. Amen.